0: All right, Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 15. Uh, Sister Sanders, would you read verse 15 for us? Coming
1: from the King James Version, verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel.
0: Amen. Amen. As a point of review, um, on last week we spent a lot of time dealing with the seeds of verse 15. What did we what did we come to realization that the lowercase seed is? Who who is that? Satan. Satan. And the uppercase seed? For Christ. Alright. Now when we go back and look at the lowercase seed. Who was God talking to in this verse? Satan. That's right. So if he was talking to Satan, that's right. The seed is the Antichrist. Because the seed, capital S, is the incarnate Christ. Okay, so God... The Son, the second one in the Trinity, became flesh. The Word became flesh from John, the Gospel according to John. Now, the lowercase seed is the Antichrist. And we also discussed what is Satan's highest motivation. What is he looking for most of all? What is he trying to obtain? Praise. Praise Okay, he glorification. God's That's right. So he wants ultimately all worship. Because God desires all worship. Satan wants to be in the seat where God is. So he desires ultimately the worship of all. And so Satan desires to do that. And how is he trying to carry out his plan. What is he trying to mimic? He's the opposite of everything that Christ is. Aha. Uh-huh. There we go. So, in the spirit realm, you've got Satan, the spirit, and you've got God, the father, and spirit. But then, God comes in flesh as who? The son, the son who is His name, Jesus. Jesus. So if Satan is going to mimic God, then he also has to have a, that's right. And it has to be an incarnate. And so that incarnate is the Antichrist. Now the Bible says in the epistles of John is the only place it talks about with the term Antichrist. But we also saw in other books, in Thessalonians, and we talked about the man of sin. Now, when the Bible says there will be many antichrists, what, are t- what is the word talking about?
2: False prophets.
0: False prophets. All right, so now what relation to the antichrist is the many antichrists?
1: They have to come before the Antichrist
0: can enter or, or can have his
1: rule. way
0: or rule, yeah. Okay. Now, the Antichrist come before the Antichrist incarnate comes, correct? Mm-hmm. And their work is to do what in the world? They are... False teachers. teachers and prophets, and they are to teach of what? a what? A false word, right? Who are the antichrists mimicking? The prophets. Prophets? They disciples? disciples, the disciples yeah. the that's right. The servants. So servants, that's right. We can do it for the more general area there, which includes the prophets, the apostles, the disciples, the church. Israel, you can conclude all those because there were false prophets from those days, false teachers, there are false prophets and false teachers today. So here you see in Satan's work that he's building an opposite of everything that God had. Because through Christ, the church is built. Through the Antichrist, there are many Antichrists. So that's his mimicking of that. And he is looking for the ultimate goal of true worship to him. That's what he wants. He wants full worship of him and not worship to God. He wants to be in God's place. So when we look here in the 15th verse, this second part, it says, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel." What is the bruising of Satan's head referring to? The the fall. The fall. The death of the Antichrist. The Antichrist. And looking at this text, by extension, the death of Satan. And then it goes on to say, and you shall bruise his heel. What does that refer to? On the cross, his crucifixion, right? Many commentators talk about this text in a way, and they say, well, this particular text refers to the same time that Christ dies on the cross. He also bruises the head of Satan. If bruising of the head of Satan is talking about his death, then how does that align? Did, where is the, do you see an alignment with that kind of commentary that when Christ died, did Satan's function stop? Did his work stop? <coughs> so if he was to be crushed in the head, that doesn't make sense, does it? And so, is everybody, anybody else too hot? I see you starting to come out of some bang. Everybody, Everybody else Good. Okay, (laughs) amen. So, one thing about prophecy, because that is what we're seeing here in verse 15. Prophecy, sometimes what prophecy does is because it has a long range, it doesn't have the precision that we might want. We might want to look at prophecy and say all of these things are to happen together. But sometimes when prophecy is given, things that are happening in that prophecy, as it's being spoken, have time lags. There are time between the things that are being prophesied. In this case, the bruising of the heel happened at Golgotha's heel almost 2,000 years ago, bruised his heel. But the head will happen when God is on the, at the great white throne and he put, pronounces judgment on the Antichrist, and on all of the devils and sends them to everlasting hell and to the fire and the lake of fire and brimstone. Does that make sense? Now, a question I'd like to ask is, now that we know what that means, what does that mean to us? If we know that Christ was healed, was bruised at gargles' heel, and that the head of Satan will be crushed when it's time at the end at the great white throne when he's cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. What does that mean for us today? Where 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 is the relevance for this text in our lives today?
1: We can defeat
0: our Satan. All right. Now how? By which way? How do we defeat those sins?
1: Um, by believing that Christ has our power, that God has our power.
0: Alright. Now, if we know we can defeat our sins through the power of Christ, what else do we see from a future perspective by knowing that only Christ's heel will be bruised? And Satan's head will be crushed. What what does that do for us as far as the way we live? What does that do for us? us? It gives us hope. It gives us hope for what? Uh, To know that we're going to be with Christ. That he's going to defeat
2: Satan and we're going to be with him one
0: day. That's right. Now what? He's going to ultimately. That he's going to defeat Satan and we're going to be with him one day. But even more than that, when Satan convinced Eve to disobey God and Adam along with her, what did we lose? We, uh, we lost just
2: living in
0: a perfect world. Mm-hmm. Ah, we lost our covering. We lost our covering, we lost the ability. We lost our living in a perfect world. And so knowing what Christ is going to do to Satan in the end, how should that affect our lives today? How should we live? We should live according to his word word and his (coughs) promises of victory, and a new perfect world. Because what has happened here is when, when, when even Adam disobeyed, they died. But how did they die? They
2: died.
0: Spiritually. And eventually, then their lives were capped and they died physically. Because they weren't meant to have to die in the first place. But here now, For us, seeing this promise and seeing what's to come, then we know that through Christ we now are alive, what? In him, him according to the Spirit. So spiritually, we are already made perfect. And we are in the process of living out that perfection in our lives. But we won't reach that in our current state, but that we will reach it in the new Jerusalem when we have new bodies and we're no longer warring the spirit against the flesh. And because we have that promise, we should live lives that are victorious and not defeated. What does that look like? You know we use them terms, but what does that look like? What what does that look like for us? Living a
2: life that's needed. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it just looks like like no no matter what comes your way, um, just no matter like what happens, like it's just really only like temporary because we're supposed to have like our eyes fixed on the promise that God has promised us. So knowing the righteousness to, of God. You know, all
0: know, right. Yeah, no, you on target, both of you are.
2: I think that, like, just no, no matter what we go through in this life and no matter what comes up against us, that we don't have to, like, to really worry about it because God has already promised us, you know, that we have a new life, a new body, and we just got to keep on pressing. That's
0: a good answer because, and righteousness comes in there as well. We, we have now righteousness in our lives. But we have to live our lives not according to, what, to the world, to what we see and what we encounter on a daily basis, but according... That's exactly right. That's faith. That's faith. And so faith acted out is when we lose a job, what is the first thing we usually do?
2: You can't. I mean, you get mad. I mean, like, what am I going to do? I'm going pay my bills. But God, he's our provider. So regardless of you lose your job or just whatever you you got to know that we ain't on the world's economy. We on God's economy. He's going to take care of it. He is, regardless of what happens, you got to know that he gives the increase. He's the one that provides. So, and of course, in the worldly realm, you're going to think like, oh my gosh, I'm going to pay my bills and this, this, and that. But when you keep focused and stay close to God, you're going to be at peace to know like, oh, God got me.
0: That's right. That's right. You're going to be at that peace. And if you lose that focus, if you if you focus on the things of this world, mm-hmm. instead of focusing on the things of Christ, it also puts you in a a position of disability. Because what do you start to do? You focus on that thing that's got you worried, which you really have no real control over, and it paralyzes you, and it stops you from being able to do what? Move forward, and move forward according to what?
2: according
0: to the will of God. That's right. To the word. To the will of God. And what is the will of God for every believer? That's right. he give us what? Life and life more abundant. Jesus says, As I was sent, so I send you. As he was sent, what was Christ doing when he was here? Teaching. Teaching of what? The will. the will of God and the kingdom of God. If we get tied up into the worries of this world and not keep our focus on the promises of God and keep focus on what we know that's coming down the road, it causes us to forget what our mission is. It causes us to get off track. And so then we get so bound up with that we can't go about doing the work of the master. <laughs> that's exactly right. You can't, I mean, if you get tied down in that, you can't get any kind of focus on ministry work. But the whole world is set up to do just that. Who is the God of this world? Satan. Satan. He is the prince of the power of the air. His job is to keep us from doing the work of the master. So we have to be careful to remember God's promises and that we rely on what God has already told us to make sure we don't lose that focus. It's all about focus because each one of us only got a set time. We only got so much time to live on earth. Everybody's at a different level of time. And we got to be about the Father's business while we have time. But Satan is constantly trying to get us off track and focus on things that keep us from doing the thing which Christ has sent us to do. Because if it wasn't for that, once we get saved, we just go right to glory. But he's got a work for us to do to continue to build the church of God. In each one of us is the power to teach and to reach others for the kingdom of God. Now, looking at verse 16, Sister McDaniel, read that for us. Oh, Genesis 3, 16.
2: Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you.
0: All right. All right. Now, the first part of verse 16, it's pretty easy to, to understand. It's pretty clear. It's pretty natural, actually. But looking at the second part, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Has anybody in here really studied this particular text before? Look closer. it.
2: Compared to yesterday, you get
0: deep. Okay.
2: Okay.
0: Now watch this. When y'all look at that on the surface, your desire shall be for your husband. What do you get from that? So
3: desire.
0: In our language, it's like a one. It's like a, it's like a attractiveness. It's like an attraction. That text is saying, if you're looking at it just on the surface, it's saying, ah. Now, how'd you know that? Control. <laughs> no,
2: it's like control. I mean,
0: how'd how'd you get that? Like, I mean,
2: it says in your English. Your that's like you want to control, be it, be the
0: head. Is that what your translation said? Yeah, it
2: said You were to control your head. I was like, <laughs> How did she know that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I'm so used so to looking to at head And he you
0: yeah. think God made man, I mean, you know, to be the head, but that's how I'm
2: getting it. I don't know. But
0: very good. <laughs> See, your your translation is translating that right. <laughs> That's right. See, I'm so used to looking at the King James and the New King James. What does yours say, uh, Sister Ellen? Mine say,
1: and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee." That's
0: right. And yours says that. Mine says that. But that translation got it right.
1: <laughs> which, come, which goes back to when we was in Bible study but a couple of weeks ago, and you were saying how much we have over the men and all that type of stuff.
0: That's right. That's right. Now watch this. Watch this. Remember how, that's right, when I was talking about the power of a woman to influence a man is great. I mean, that is a great piece that you have. You know, the, the Lord, the Lord has, it, that's how the Lord has created man and woman. Because clearly we see it from the very beginning. She didn't have to work hard to get him to eat.
3: <laughs> she just had to suggest.
0: Yeah, that's right. He just, said, hey, was wasn't easy. no fight. Nah. I didn't hear <laughs> no wrestling match or none he of that. No problem with it. Right? <laughs> okay. okay, let me go ahead on. <laughs> and and, and that, that power is of great responsibility for every woman of God because she can. And if you look at this text, in the original text, it's just as the living is saying. it's saying that her desire is to control her husband. But then it says, "And, but what? He rule over you. That sounds like a problem, right that, don't <laughs> it? Cause she to be the head. Yeah, because see, this doesn't even look like it only looks like half a curse. If you don't see that part. You look at that. That's right. Because the first part is like, all this pain and childbearing and all that, that's a curse. But yeah. but then the desire for your husband and then you're like, oh, what kind of curse is that? Because the
3: woman has to learn how to be submissive. That's how I kind of look at it. That's it's right. Like, you can't just, well, most of some men, you can't just run over. You're not supposed to anyway. And then, no.
1: Is that why why households are out of
0: order when the woman is in control? Uh, Exactly right. Because that's not what the Lord has established. Mm -hmm. He's established headship in the husband. In the husband is the headship. That's right. Mm -hmm. Because um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 lets us know that the man is the head of the woman and Christ is the head of man.
3: Whenever he refers to the church as the bride.
0: That's right. What verse is that chapter 11? That's in chapter 11. Let's see right quick. Okay. First, okay, see? So while we're flipping over here, 1 Corinthians... Okay, in 3 we got, the head of every man is Christ, the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Verse 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. He says, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Okay, now, Sister Alan, you were getting ready to ask a question.
1: Okay, so we was in uh, Genesis 3 and 16. So my Bible had told me to go to John 16 and 21. John 16 and 21.
0: Let's take a look. John 16 and 21. Okay, go ahead and read that. Sit down.
1: A woman when she is in travail had sorrow because her hour is come but as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembers no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born into the world.
0: Hmm.
1: Was that sin? I mean, was that like how you was punished back then?
0: Now, watch Watch that now. Watch Okay, what does the curse say in verse 16? She'll have great
1: sorrow
0: mm-hmm. In pain. Um, in pain. Alright, it stops right there. You yeah. shall in pain shall bring forth children. But then read what John is saying. <coughs>
3: Yes. That's right.
0: Uh huh. Now what? What's happening here? John is saying something extra here. What is he telling us?
2: He's saying that the pain where you're suffering, like you you think you're like experiencing pain, but it's like, or is it saying like you're going through? I don't know. And yeah. then and, and it's like at the end, you experience the the joy of God's blessing or something. like like you what, what say
0: Yeah, hour? you on you on target too.
2: Go ahead. It says
3: her hour has come. Does that make you feel like you're dying? No, her hour has come. The child.
0: For the child, the child to come, come. forth. That's right. That's nah. my translation for it. It says the her joy because of her joy as the child is going to triple
3: the world.
0: Okay, now watch this.
2: Like when you go through something, you okay. know, like you experience like the pain down now and, and you can't see your way until like at the end when you receive your blessing. Is that what it's kinda okay. like? Okay. Okay. You receive the the mm-hmm. joy, like you can rejoice at the end of the
0: storm or all, all right. Storm. All right. You you in the right
2: you in the right you in the right area. Well, now watch you before your blessing.
0: That, that's true too in the application. But I think there's something bigger here than John is saying. But that's a good application as well. But I think there's something bigger. the,
3: next verse <coughs> kinda the rest of what was saying.
0: There you go.
3: Like, in my version it says, So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything.
0: I tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Amen. Jesus talking. That's Jesus. That's right. So he's saying, you know, right now you're
3: grieving because I'm leaving you, right? Or I'm going to leave you. Is this before he got
0: crucified? This is before he got crucified. That's right, and he's saying, and and by extension, you know, they got sorrow. That he's going to be taken away from them. But also, now in this context, that's exactly what he's talking about because you're seeing as this text unfolds that he's talking about his leaving of the disciples. When he's gone, they're going to be pain, pain and hardship. Pain and suffering. And suffering. That's so when right. When
2: he come back to get us, right. we ain't got to worry about all the pain.
0: There we go. Right. There we go. Absolutely. So, what, what, what the pain in childbirth is like a shadow of the life of a believer. It's the life of one who's in Christ. They go through a life of what? Suffering. But as John says, after the, the end of the suffering has been, after that hour and that suffering has completed, they forget all about it. And what does Revelation say about in that day when we have been taken up and we are now with the Lord, every what will me, be? Me no. You won't have any memories. That's right. right. You're, you, the the foremost will be no longer. You will remember no more. And every tear will be wiped away. There will be no more remembrance of the pain, and the tears will be wiped away. And so it's a foreshadowing with the revelation that John gave of our future after our suffering. It's a word of encouragement to every one of us knowing that this suffering that we're going through is just for a little while. Yeah, it may be 80 years, but what is that in comparison to eternity? eternity? Now, in in, in the 16th verse of Genesis, now that we see the curse in the second part, as the controlling of the woman wanting to control the man. And the man has been put in the place of ruling over the woman. We see a conflict, right? And it's part of the curse. And the curse, the Bible teaches us, came by who? Who? Really? and in the end it really says Adam was responsible, right? So the first Adam brought about what? The curse because of his disobedience and part of this curse is the woman will want to control the man and the man is in a position to be the ruler over the woman. Contention. Complete contention. Complete hostility actually it really is. But that's what the first Adam brought. But the second Adam, who is who? Christ. He brings about a new order. In our bodies is the what? Which order? The new order. In our bodies. In our flesh is the old order. But we have been made alive in Christ, and in our spirit is the the new order. So now, this curse has a way out. Because the new order in our spirit gives us the power to do what? Defeat the flesh. Defeat the flesh, which defeats the old order. So, our bodies desire still. The woman desires if you be honest, to control the man. The man's job is to rule over. And so there's this fight that's going on. But now that we have Christ in our lives, what does that now do for that? We now have a way out. And the only way in order to put things back in order is to do what? Anybody? To accept Christ. To accept Christ. And now that you have Christ in you, to do what? To uh, live right.
2: To obey Spirit. How,
0: and how? Being obedient. Being, what did I hear about the Spirit? Being obedient. Obey the Spirit. Obey it. You say obey the Spirit? Close enough. But what I'm trying to get to is.
2: Listen
0: to the spirit. Okay, Okay. Feed, feed your spirit according to the word. But we are to rely on the spirit of God to give us the power to do that which we should be doing. Because naturally we're going to do the opposite. Every one of us naturally we're going to do what fallen men do. But the only way to do the second order, the true order is to do it by relying on the Spirit of God. We can't do it in our own strength. We have to rely on the Spirit to do it in us. That's why the Bible says Christ is our life. Not he's beside our life, he is our life. The only way to get life and life more abundant is by relying on and depending on Christ to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We can't fix this on our own because our natural desire is to do what the fallen people do. But there is contention, and that's why, verse sixteen, you find there is a curse. Now, sister, well, you got a baby in your hand, and she's looking like she couldn't sleep. Um, yeah. It's okay. You got your you got your word there. Uh-huh. All right, verse seventeen. Oh, hold we Genesis. Genesis. That's all right.
3: Um, this is the Little King James version. Okay. I mean the NIV version. Okay. Um. You said seventeen to so Adam. He said, "Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. You oh, cursed is yeah. the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life."
0: Okay, go ahead with eighteen.
3: It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return.
0: Amen. Amen. The completion of the curse is that mankind will toil for everything that they get, for survival. Survival alone is a whole lot of pain and a lot of toiling in it. Am I right? Now, if that's the case, did Christ do anything for us to deal with this part of the curse? Alright. And he said as well. What he said he knew whatever needs we had before we even asked, right? Mm-hmm. What did he say for us to do in order to get all those needs met?
2: Seek him first in his kingdom above all else.
0: That's right. Will, will be added unto you. Mm-hmm. Now watch this. The curse is the first order. After the fall. It's the first order. The curse is everything according to the flesh. But then Christ comes back. The second item and says. Seek ye first. The kingdom of God. Go ahead. What was the second part of the curse? You said the
1: completion of the curse. Is that man will work for
0: everything. That's right. And he will toil. Just for survival. He will work hard. And it will be painful. Because of the thorns and thistles it shall bring forth. When he turns to eat in the field, he got a sweat. I mean, all these things that he never had to do before because of the fall, because of the disobedience, now all of this has been manifest. All this is now how life is going to be. And that's according to the flesh. But what Christ has done in the second Adam for us today is he has done what? What has he done with his curse? Right. When he on the cross, he put the curse on him, right? But now practically in our lives, how does that manifest? How does that look in our lives? Should we have to toil for everything? Why?
1: Because if we go to Christ,
0: then he'll supply our needs. That's right. He will supply our needs. So with Adam in the flesh, he was trying to do everything himself. Now, we can be in this curse very easy. All we got to do is make the choice to do things ourselves, to be in the curse. And we know when we decide that we're going to try to figure things out and do it our way without consulting the Lord, don't we go through a whole lot of Torah? What Don't we? It? I'm sorry. Go ahead, sis. What's the verse where it says see him first? That should be Matthew, Matthew 633. 633? Let's take a look right quick to make sure. I think it's six thirty-three. Yep. Matthew 6 and 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And it's good actually to read uh, verses 25 through 34 to get the full context of that as well. And so, matter of fact, Let's just read through that while we got a few minutes here left. That's right. Okay, verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, he will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, do not worry saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I love
2: that. Can I read my footnote? Go <laughs> ahead, <Sid. laughs>
0: I this. Okay. Go ahead. I have three of them. It
2: says, because of the ill effects of worry, Jesus tell, tells, tells us not to worry about these needs that God promised to supply. Worry may, one, damage your health, Disrupt your productivity. Negativity affects the way you treat others and reduce your ability to trust in God. How many ill effects of worry are you experiencing? Here is the difference between worry and genuine concern. Worry immobilizes, but concern moves you to action. To seek the kingdom of God above all else means to put God first in your life, to fill your thoughts with his desires, to take his character for your pattern, and to serve and obey him in everything. What is really important to you? People, objects, goals, and other desires all all compete for priority. Any of these can quickly become most important to you if you don't actively choose to give God first place in every area of your life. Then it says, planning for tomorrow is time well spent. Worrying about tomorrow is time wasted. Sometimes it's difficult to tell the difference. Careful planning is thinking ahead about goals, steps, and schedules, and trusting in God's guidance. When done well, planning can help alleviate worry. Worriers, by contrast, are consumed by fear and find it difficult to trust God. They let their plans interfere with their relationship with God. Don't let worries about tomorrow affect your relationship with God today.
0: That's it. Amen. Amen. Now look at that. Look at that. From from the commentary and the text. (coughs) It's clear That God has made a way out of the curse. He's made a way for us out of the curse so that we do not have to toil and spin trying to deal with everyday survival of life. And he is saying to us, the answer to it all is not for you to do it yourself, but to let me do it in you. He's saying, I've already fixed this problem, y'all. And here I am. I am the resurrection and I am the life. Whatever situation you're going through, whether or not it's a job or a house or a family or whatever mountains are in our way that we look at and say that's impossible for us to deal with, God says, don't look at the mountain. Look at me. Am I not bigger than the mountain? The Lord is saying, am I not more powerful than the mountain? He said, I've died for you. And my father has raised me from the dead. And now I have all power in my hand. Didn't, didn't Jesus say it? He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. So at most, the worst of things that we deal with on earth are nowhere in comparison to the power that the God who says, trust me, look to me, seek me, and I will. Not us. So now he's fixed it. So paradise lost is paradise regained. When Adam was working in the garden, he worked by the power of God. After the fall, outside of the garden in the thorns and the thickets, he worked by the power of himself. Now here Christ says, I have reversed it. Paradise lost, paradise regained. Now it's back to working by the power of God. And we have a God that is close to us. And he's saying, I've got your every need. There's no need to worry no matter how your circumstances look. No matter how troubling the folks on your job might be. No matter how ominous it looks like to pay your rent next month. No matter how it seems like your husband or your wife might be acting up or it seems like your relationships are falling apart, God's got it. And he's got more power than any situation that we could ever go through. And even if he don't do it right when we want him to do it, it don't mean that he's not doing it. He just wants us to trust him by faith. He don't want us to do it by sight, but by faith. Jesus is saying to us, yeah, I know that mountain is big. Yeah, I know that situations you're in, it looks like you can't do it no more. I know it looks like that you want to quit and you want to give it up. Because it looks like something that you can't do. But he's saying, don't look at the situation, but look at me. Keep focusing on me. Because just might be when you get to that mountain, I may take you around it or through it. And even if you got to go over it, he has the power to give you the strength to climb it. Is that right? Yeah. So why should we worry? Why should we get our mind off of the focus of the one who says, I'm going to do it all for you?
2: We just got to wait.
0: We just got to wait. And the Proverbs trust in him. Three, five, go ahead, say Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. All right. Go ahead and call that one out if you got it there. Uh, trust in the Lord with all thy heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, and him, and he shall direct you. Your paths. In all your ways. Not just some of them. You know, that's what we kind of want to do. We kind of want to... Peek That's right. <laughs> well, you know, this time, Lord... But, you know, next time, me. I got it. I got it. Right. And then what do we do? Mess it up. Mess it up. <laughs> but in all our ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct your path. I know that mountain is big. I might take you over it. I might take you around it. I might take you through it. But you don't know until you get there. That mountain may be weeks down the road, but he says grace is sufficient for today, for tomorrow has his own troubles. So he's saying, "Take me day by day, trust me day by day, and let me work, and I'll show you how I can deliver you from whatever situation you're in."
2: And then, in the meantime, too, you can't—you um, have to be busy doing the work for him. You know, seeking the like, kingdom. Yeah, seeking the kingdom. Because if you don't, you will be focusing on the situation and you get paralyzed with fear and worry and you know
0: this and that as your commentary says you will be immobilized yeah amen God bless you it is 830 yeah that happens